0: we're all set. Good morning, everyone. Uh, I'm Joel Despain, the public information officer for the Madison Police Department. And uh, I want to welcome everyone to our third and final news conference as we roll out some important initiatives uh, that uh, will be taking place in this city as our department reaches out to the community in 2015. And to talk about uh, why while we're, while we're gathered here today, I'll introduce uh, Chief Mike Cobalt. Chief. Thanks, Thanks, Joel.
1: As Joel indicated, this is the third of three initiatives, but uh, by no means is it a matter of uh, the least in emphasis or priorities for me. Frankly, um, I'm positively giddy about the possibilities of what these officers are going to be able to provide our city and our community. Uh, As I think to those community forums or meetings that I've had the privilege of attending, invariably at each and every one of them I've had a family member, a parent, a loved one, a concerned friend, mental illness and those issues pertaining to those times when there has been an episodic breakdown in support structure or in medication or whatever, it's, it's a part and parcel of our landscape today. No one doesn't have someone in our immediate group that doesn't have a story of someone who has struggled with a family member or friend who is going through issues relative to a mental illness. And uh, the police department, of course, is certainly not immune to those issues as well. If you were to just gauge those sort of low-hanging fruit of cases we've worked over the course of a year, at a minimum, at those cases which are stark in the sense of how they're reported or titled in our system, we are working well over 2,500 incidents a year. And that's the minimum. That's a conservative number. And what we're finding is that as the sign of the times, we are finding more and more people who are either undiagnosed, undertreated, or not getting any treatment at all, and it's creating all kinds of implications for family, the community, and the implications as it manifests itself into calls for service back in patrol. Now, we have a very storied history, a history of being sort of a benchmark for a lot of agencies across this nation in the way we respond. But like a lot of police departments, we are driven by calls for service, and those calls are ever mounting. And so our capacity to take the time to make the efforts, to do the sustained uh, sort of engagement that we'd like to do a la MPD, that's become increasingly difficult and challenging for us, and we want to do more. We have to do more because, quite frankly, I haven't seen an awful lot of assistance coming to me through the state or through the county or through other means. There's financial issues, yes, uh, but these issues have become so critical to the way in which we respond To the needs of our community that we are again taking the budgetary hit upon ourselves. We're taking five people from patrol services where those calls have certainly not been diminishing and I think it is so fundamentally important to the way we provide service to the community that each and every one of those five patrol officers is now going to be stationed in a district and asked to work nothing but exclusively mental health cases where we can do more in terms of being proactive, working with families, working with providers, creating a game plan, and trying to provide some measure of comfort beyond what we can offer in patrol. Now, I do not want anyone to leave this room with the notion that they're not getting their favorite mental health officer, ergo they're getting something lesser or included in the mix. Quite the contrary. Each and every Madison police officer, detective, command staff, each has gone through profound and extensive crisis intervention training through our own in-house academy and our ongoing employee development. We pride ourselves in that training. Each and every police officer that's going to be thrust into a situation involving someone who's having a, a mental illness crisis of some kind Rest assured, you're going to have a very capable and caring and committed individual working your case. What we've done for the past couple of years is supplement those initiatives that we have rooted in patrol, and we created sort of an auxiliary reserve, if you will, of officers who have devoted their time and talents and how they've been trained, the backgrounds they bring, or because they have skin in the game because of a, a family member or a friend that affected them deeply and this issue is passionate for them, we've asked over the course of the last few years these 18 officers who are assigned throughout our five districts to take an extra and added effort, provide a premium service to those calls that they can jump in the field that might be related to mental illness and or those things that they can do proactively when they're not working calls for service. And those reserves, if you will, those volunteers, that program is only going to be amped up. I want to grow that program ever so much more so because there's an interest and more importantly because there's a compelling need. But again, those auxiliary officers, our patrol officers, at the end of the day, are forced to do the triaging that is required in maintaining their beat with integrity there are other people in needs above and beyond and in addition to those who have a mental illness issue. And so we can't very well do short-thrift on anyone's needs when those calls come in. They're usually urgent. So by today, I am announcing that with these five mental health officers who will not be call-driven, who will assist us preemptively in a lot of these calls, I believe that we will be able to provide a sort of a gap-saving mechanism for a lot of families and friends who have found that their loved ones are falling between the cracks, that somewhere along the line the mental health system has failed them. And in that capacity, as I've not seen any robust initiative from any other quarters of our community, I guess it then becomes the default mechanism Of the only 24-7 social service agency that I'm aware of namely the Madison Police Department and we're going to embrace this challenge in a robust way and I'm thrilled that we have the capacity to understand that these folks have taken sort of above and beyond the pale of what normally gets dished out here as work and have taken on this unique assignment voluntarily because They've got skin in the game, and this matters a great deal to them as well. So, I'm going to look at all these issues and talk a little bit also about historically about how proud we are of the MPD response when it comes to dealing with issues of the mental health issues. For one, we are one of only six nationally recognized training sites for mental health crisis intervention, and we're very proud of that moniker. Additionally, we've just been identified to be a pilot project, funded, to see how we can do a better job in tracking, tracing, identifying, retrieving, and looking at the dispositional outcomes of those incidents that our police officers and patrol field and how we can find those more readily and create a database that's more comprehensive. Madison has been selected for that as well we have worked diligently to expand our borders of expertise in working with the community captain roman here has served on the board of nami locally for years we do cooperative partnerships not only with nami both state and local but we work with journey mental health in providing effective and comprehensive street interventions for people who are in crisis part of captain romans new assignments besides dealing with all of those mental health initiatives that I'd like to bring forward, is that she is basically going to be designated in a new role as one of community outreach and services. And in that capacity, not only will she be dealing with those issues specific to mental health and mental illness, but she's also going to spearhead our drives to be more engaging in creating volunteer activities in engaging youth activities for our youth academy in looking at the various quality control assurances that come into the department and transcend what the five districts need to provide a centralized uniform qualitative response that reflects my needs and my priorities so she's gonna be wearing many hats as well at the end of the day is obviously my personal belief that there are a lot of systems that need improving in regard to this and quite frankly we have tried working cooperatively with a lot of those partners thinking that that would be the best way to bring about systems improvements and we will continue to exercise due diligence in hopes that that will one day occur but I can't wait anymore I'm tired of the rhetoric I'm tired of the political posturing I'm tired of the delay and discounting minimizing and rationalizing this department is going to stand up be recognized, and at least try to make a valiant effort to do more. I'm now going to turn it over to Captain Roman. And uh, Anything you'd like to add in terms of introducing your new cadre?
2: Thank you. So the Chief was very thorough in his comments. Um, I will only add perhaps a bit more detail in terms of what kinds of things uh, these officers will be uh, getting involved in in the districts that they'll be supporting. First of all, um, I will say that I am extremely excited uh, and encouraged that the chief has um, you know, uh, basically provided uh, this layer of support to the community on a very, very important issue. Um, as he stated, we've been working for years in this area to provide services to people with mental illness. The liaison program has been in place for um, a bit over 10 years now. And so by adding this layer of full-time support, I'm confident that the work that these officers will be adding uh, will help uh, provide better support to people in the community with mental illness. The officers that are standing next to me here uh, all come to this position with experience as liaisons in their districts. So they've been working for years on these issues, and a reminder, they've been doing this above and beyond the demands of routine patrol work calls for service. But they're very familiar with the challenges of the system. They're very familiar with the people and the families and the providers in their districts that they'll now be working with on a full-time basis. Some of the things that these officers will be doing, uh, aside from uh, providing support to patrol when uh, when they're able to, is they will be doing outreach, uh, working with community providers to do home visits, put together safety plans, uh, they'll be involved in community meetings. Essentially, they'll be added to what uh, we would kind of describe as wraparound services and be one of a team of people supporting people in the community with mental illness and their families. They already have established relationships with the providers. As I said, they know the system well, so they'll be ready to kind of hit the ground running and, uh, and reach out to, to people and respond to those uh, calls that come in and the inquiries and the requests from families uh, and uh, and consumers to assist them in their day-to-day living. So I'll just briefly introduce each of them uh, and then I'll, I guess, turn it over for any additional comments or questions that people might have. So immediately to my left is Officer Carlin Becker. She will be the North District uh, Mental Health Officer. Next is Eugene Worley. He will be in the West District, Roberta Stellick will be East, Joanna Hollenbeck, South, and then Andy Naylor will be Central.
0: So. Thank you, Captain. Yep. Any questions for uh, Captain or the Chief? Gil? What's the-, the data system you're talking about improving as part of this pilot yeah, that that project?
2: Okay, so the chief mentioned earlier uh, that we were uh, and are and have been uh, since about 2010 one of six uh, learning sites. It's a model uh, learning site uh, Program Basically, it's identified us uh, as uh, a model program for the services that we provide to people with mental illness. As a sort of ancillary project to this designation, uh, we have been selected as the only site, uh, again, working with this team uh, through the Council of State Governments which is an offshoot of the uh, uh, Bureau of Justice Assistance. And uh, we have been identified then as, as a uh, pilot site to begin to develop and look at ways to better capture data uh, information through our records management systems, through our uh, CAD system, uh, in order to be able to really, um, I guess, quantify the calls for service. But beyond that, what we're hoping to accomplish through this project is uh, to obtain an ability to better analyze the information so that we can look at outcomes uh, more accurately and that that data can then help shape uh, and direct uh, our resources in this area.
0: Captain Quantified, uh, in addition to the CIP training, what have these officers
1: gone through to prepare for this?
2: Well, each of them brings with them uh, an array of of experiences from previous careers and from their time in patrol. As I mentioned, they all have uh, the academy experience and the training that the chief cited earlier. In addition to that... Uh, they have uh, attended various trainings throughout their careers related to this area. Uh, again, the chief uh, pointed out that that this is something that these officers are drawn to. They feel a calling to this particular work. Some of those reasons are based on prior experience or, as the chief mentioned, um, just sort of a passion in the work that they're doing uh, and in helping people uh, with mental illness. So they come with a variety of, of experiences. Uh, in fact, they actually have been in involved in conducting a lot of trainings. They're uh, often asked to provide training both in-house and uh, within the community. Most recently, we provided a critical incident uh, team training at our training facility this past fall. We'll be repeating that uh, again this June. And the folks to my left and and other volunteers in the department are the ones that actually make that happen.
1: What is the typical call that uh, wellness officers would respond to?
2: You know what? I would actually ask somebody, like perhaps the most senior officer to my left, to uh, respond and give you kind of a sense, because they're the ones that are responding to these calls and doing this work every day.
0: <laughs> okay. This is Carlin Becker. Hi.
2: Um, I, I don't know if you could say any,
3: any calls. Typical. Uh, in this capacity, of course, we haven't set out on our, on our journey just yet, but on a day-to-day basis, we we could just be called either by a citizen that sees somebody. We could have an interaction with somebody that basically manifests itself into, oh, this person needs some services. A lot of times it's it's a person who's calling who's already in crisis. They're about to do something drastic. They know they need help. Uh, We're going to rally around that person or rally around that call as best we can. We might also get some calls from the hospitals as well where someone has come in on a voluntary basis, but maybe things have changed, and now they've got to get more people involved to try to facilitate the treatment for the person. So there's there's any number of ways that we, we could get involved. So you're talking like suicide drug addiction it could be any of those cor- correct um, there, there are this time of year particularly is is and in December there are a lot of calls where people are just feeling really down and some of those are resolved with little time some of those are you know transportation to the hospital others are a little more
1: elaborate can I just add something to that one of the things that, that I have found on the circuit with doing community forums is that very often is the case you will have a parent. Or a sibling that will literally uh, hog hogtie me after the, my comments and say, I'm really concerned, my loved one is spiraling, we're seeing this behavior, and what can we do to prevent that behavior from manifesting itself and translating into an arrest and an induction into the criminal justice system. And by that matter, once I think it is routinely known and understood that we have the capacity to work with families and providers, we're hoping that our phones will be ringing and, in fact, they won't be as call-driven and they will actually be referral experts.
2: I will just add to that, Chief, that uh, an example is I actually got an email today from a parent uh, whose child attends one of the uh, local high schools here. And uh, already having heard about our liaison program and knowing that those systems uh, and that support was already in place, the uh, school staff actually recommended that the parent reach out to me to try to get in touch with one of our mental health officers. So... A lot of the work that these officers will be doing, uh, because we've had this established liaison program, the providers and the families in the community are already aware that this is something that we offer. Uh, and so they are reaching out to us, initiating that uh, contact and that request for additional support, depending on the circumstances. The officers are also reviewing all reports that are generated on incidents and doing some follow-up to reach out to contact uh, resources if people aren't connected, uh, to be kind of a part of that process of getting people connected to the necessary services. How
1: much did
0: the, the
2: loss of Mendota as an asset to the to this area push you towards this
1: well, it isn't, it isn't a major driving po- uh, point, but it is contributing to it. Uh, clearly, since that decision has been made, there have been scores, probably close to 80 instances where we've now had to use two officers in this, uh, literally this five hour round trip having to go to Oshkosh and back so much so that of course you're aware that I filed a legal action to try to get specific performance to reopen Mendota to us and that doesn't even uh, take into account that a lot of our officers are doing callbacks to Mendota and that can be 30 or 40 since that time so it is a, a contributing factor but moreover why is it that we're seeing people more so than ever reaching such a capacity, such a critical level, that it's reaching the point that we're going to these scores of involuntary commitments translating into emergency detentions. That, in as much as is important as the Medoda issue, but that gets to a greater concern that I have in that why is this spiraling so downward and how can we respond more effectively?
0: There have been several incidents in the last couple of years where individuals in crisis and it didn't end well. Is this this, this an effort to be proactive and get to those situations before they get there?
1: Clearly, that is one of the motivations for it. You know, we've all had, I know we've all had those instances where when we've dealt with someone at the end of the night, uh, who, who among us doesn't wonder, have I done everything I could? Are all the resources that I could have accessed, have I accessed them? Did I meet the legal threshold to do an emergency detention? I know that I still carry with me, from May of 1988. The fact that I had an encounter with someone who is experiencing a mental illness crisis. Five days later Lori Dan went to Winnetka, killed a school-aged child and then killed herself. That is something that has stayed with me for the better part of my career and I was only four years on the, five years on the department then. That moment in May in 1988 is a moment like no other as was the issue just last three days into my tenure's office on May 2nd. But what I think that I have to do as a public service to all of those who have family, friends, loved ones, more often than not, besides these sort of sensationalistic calls that obviously splash the tabloids as is appropriate, but more often than not, our individuals who are suffering from mental illness are much more likely to be the victims of crime than to engage in the sort of uh, behavior that we are citing or we are looking at from time to time. We got to keep that in mind. Do you find it difficult to balance the, I mean, I understand that you're specially trained officers that deal with mental illness and whatnot, but I'd like to take the example of the, uh, of the high school student, you're still a cop, mm-hmm. and is there a way to kind of like separate the stigma of you being a police officer and but you also being there to help them socially? Well, I think we've seen that those waters can be negotiated if we look at other parallels within our field. Initially, neighborhood officers walking in challenged neighborhoods were pioneering spirits. The same can be said about educational resource officers in the high schools and, to a lesser extent, some of the officers we have assigned to our gang intervention units. All of them have that capacity and have to understand what is their statutory responsibilities, but we're looking at BPR, best possible resolutions, which more often than not, we're looking to escape the paradigms of citations and arrests. We're looking at how we can provide services and treatment. Those are the things that are uppermost, and I hope, in the new paradigm shift that we want to see from the Madison Police approach to issues that have been traditionally handled that way.
3: Officer, can I ask you a quick question? Yes, sir. sir. How, how important is the human aspect of this, that you're able to, to make a difference and, and, and be able to deal with an individual? I would say that's at the top. I mean, you know, again, we're, we're all here because we want to be, but we also wear this uniform because we, at the end of the day, we really want to help other people, and we think we have the capacity to do that. I mean... I personally just think everyone deserves a chance and and all, you know, people, it's in there, that good is in there somewhere. So, but you have to be able to connect with people. You have to have empathy. You have to have compassion or you can't, you aren't able to negotiate your, your options from, from being resources or, or criminal or you have to have that in, in your, in your ability to communicate and connect with people because otherwise it just won't work. And, I think, I mean, and any police officer knows that, but we we all just naturally gravitate towards that kind of situation, and that's probably the biggest appeal for us coming into this position.
1: For Officer or for Kathy Roman, um, how important is it to have? Officers here who, who who know the system, who know how to navigate, you know, especially with everything that's gone on in the past few years, with with you know, bigger holes developing in that system. How big is it to have people who who know how to how to move through it?
2: Well, I think. Obviously, it's a benefit. Um, it, one of the things that's true about this full-time position is that because that is something that, that they will be dedicating um, their work day to, um, it's important that they come into these positions with that foundation already in place. While they did volunteer to uh, be a liaison in their districts, these full-time positions are positions that they actually competed for. So we had a process of selection and interview uh, within the department to select these five. So uh, so clearly they put their name in the hat voluntarily to do that, but they are here because they were selected among a group of officers who, who uh, submitted their interest. Uh, because they bring to this position That foundation, that knowledge of the systems, the previous experience, and those working relationships already in place. And it's key uh, because the work that they'll be doing will depend on that.
1: Is the approach that you're taking right now with these full time um, folks playing this role been used anywhere else in the state or in the country that you're drawing on a model, or are you creating this? Go ahead. You're the,
2: my well, uh, subject matter expert. <laughs> I'm sure you have things to say about no, it. I, yeah, you I, know, there are certainly uh, different models around the country uh, in terms of the kind of services or support that uh, is offered by police to deal with these issues. Uh, we did not look at a specific model to put this in place. Uh, it has sort of evolved out of really decades of commitment uh, to this particular area. We have a long-standing tradition uh, and practice, really, of working uh, with mental health issues in Madison for a number of reasons, when Mendota, you know, kind of was a, a hub here, uh, our mental health services uh, are, have a have a reputation of being some of the finest here in Dane County. So we have we have that history, and I think what you're seeing today is something that really has been um, kind of uh, cooking, if you will, for many many years to get to this point. Uh, so it's really just kind of an extension of uh, and an evolution of of, of practice and a commitment that that has been here for years. That said, there are absolutely other models in the country where uh, there are teams, there are mobile response teams where officers partner with mental health uh, providers in the community and respond that way. Uh, There are in-house psychologists who are uh, in police departments, embedded in police departments, and will work on some of these issues in that way. So there's a, a variety of models, and most of them are tailored to the specific needs and resources in each community.
1: Yeah, the only thing I would say from a system standpoint, that if I could wave my magic wand and find some money tree somewhere, uh, I'm very impressed with the San Antonio model in the sense that I like the fact that there is one sort of restorative, one-stop shopping. You have the practitioners in the field identifying, acknowledging, and looking at someone who needs treatment. Maybe it's AODA, mental health, combination thereof, homelessness. I am definitely intrigued by by that model that's taking place in San Antonio because it is proving to have some erstwhile results, and those officers can connect. Move on and get back into the fulcrum of other work, and so I think that's a model that, if I had an institutional uh, template to, to strive towards, I think that's one that Dane County would be wise to look at. Yeah, want well, to stay in that world where you've got the magic wand. Uh, what, what are some of the I'm in mean, that, that world that, a lot. Yeah. <laughs> what, what are what are um, you know when you look around at, at the other kind of players in this at the county mm-hmm. level at the state level, where do you see that support lacking, and what, what would you like to see uh, see more of from from those from those partners? Well, again, I think that uh, both state and county, you're filled with people who want to do the right thing. Their hearts are in the right places, and their intentions are good. What I think has become increasingly self-evident is what are those institutional barriers that are being thrust in the way. The obvious one that was raised earlier is that clearly if Mendota had been accessible to us, and not just us, I speak on behalf of the Dane County Chiefs Association, you, you can imagine that if I'm having two officers being taken out of service for eight hours or more. Imagine how that is thereby magnified in a smaller bedroom community in and around Madison based on those same resource issues. And fundamentally, it's counterintuitive to me from a a patient standpoint, a client standpoint, to think that they're going to be better placed sitting in the back of a cramped squad car driving 150 miles from here away from their infrastructure, family, and support. So it's those sort of impediments, if you will. And sort of, too, I suspect the the funding priorities at at times from, like, the county. I I think, frankly, uh, they have an awful lot of uh, needs as well that they have to balance. And I respect that that's a difficult and precarious task. But, of course, it's all about me right now, and so I need more people helping street intervention levels of us. It would be great in the sense that Madison, the county, and the state, we're all on the same page. The best uh, form of treatment is prevention. But the problem is, is that prevention hasn't worked emphatically across the board, which is why we're then put in the position of trying to cobble up solutions in the middle of the night, with very little additional resources, using just sort of the creativity of what the officers can come to working with our partners. So I think everybody wants to do the right thing. I've I've just sort of grown tired of waiting.
0: Other questions? All right, well, thanks, everyone. I also have a copy of the Chief's blog, which will be posted soon, uh, which reiterates some of what you have heard today. Um, in addition, for those in the broadcast medium, uh, there is a picture in our briefing room, a uh, uh, painting that someone who was uh, suffering a mental health crisis a number, a couple of years ago, uh, painted for our officers uh, for basically he believes saving his life. And so if you'd like that visual, I could... Uh, Bring you back to the briefing room and show that to you. I'd ask though that you not use the individual's name because he does uh, have a heartfelt note that's also attached to that picture. But I think it gives you a sense as to, you know, some of the good the officers do uh, with people in the community and, and how they feel about it and uh, getting that help. So thanks again and thanks to the officers for joining Thank in this new initiative. Thank
3: you.
2: Beautiful, beautiful.